Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of Mic Drop. It's the economy stupid, where we're going to be serving a big heaping side dish of what the heck is going on with the DCCC ad targeting Hispanic voters. Going to be a great conversation today and hopefully a lot of questions. Um, we have a lot of ground to cover, but first, let's take care of a little bit of housekeeping you're joining us here on the Get Call-In app, a place where you can perform and create and distribute all of your podcasts, not just here on the call-in platform, but also on all the places that you get your favorite podcast subscriptions, whether it's Spotify or Apple or anywhere you, you, you get your you subscribe. Uh, you can find the show on Call-In, I'm sorry, on those, on those platforms. Um, or simply just join the call-in app. The reason why I've chosen to use this app is because I think more than most folks that you follow um, that engage in this type of analysis at this type of a level has always been my commitment to work with you guys to be a little bit more engaging, peel back the curtain, and explain a lot of what goes on in the political consulting profession. And by answering questions of the day directly, I found it to be a little bit more or a lot more uh, productive and conducive to interaction and understanding than kind of some of the traditional tweet storms that I have been involved in and engaged in. Twitter, as much as I love Twitter, and you all know how much I love Twitter, is not really conducive to explaining things terribly well. And more often than not, what happens is some confusion uh, or, or disagreements um, aren't handled productively um, as people are genuinely, I think, trying to ask sincere questions about um, polling, uh, campaign tactics, messaging specifically, a lot of this gets limited and lost in some of the characters, the, the limited amount of characters, or even some of the tweet threads. So, I figured, heck, let's just give it, a, let's just give it a shot, and it seemed to be working out pretty, pretty well. So, uh, I do ask that if you do have questions, please jump in to the uh, chat room. There, you can see on the bottom right of your app. If you want to jump in and ask a question, it really, really does help. Uh, me kind of move the conversation and understand what kind of questions it is that you want to be asked. If you are a little bit more on the shy side and want to ask a question through the chat room, you can see that little the little two quotation bubbles up above that signify chat. Hit that, ask questions, and I'll go ahead and answer them uh, from there. But again, it does make it interactive. Uh, if you do ask questions, no one here is going to bite. Um, it's 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 helpful for me. I've, look, I've got a lot to cover today, so I'm gonna uh, go ahead and jump right in. I'm gonna ask uh, some of you folks um, that are regulars to kind of jump into the queue early, so we can kind of um, you know hand that baton over to to you guys here and make this interactive. If you do like what you're hearing, please uh, share this, shoot it out uh, on Twitter. Most of you guys are Twitter followers. That really helps build the audience for the show. It really broadens the engagement. And it really um, assists in kind of uh, the rankings of the show to get more and more listeners, make a more robust community, and get differences of opinion, which I'm not afraid of here. And part of that is what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to start the discussion today with this new ad drop that came out of the DCCC. For those of you unawashed, unaware, new to the game, the DCCC is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. It is the official entity headed up by Nancy Pelosi on the House side. That's whose job exclusively 
is to um, elect Democrats to House seats, of which there's basically, you know, there's always argument and debate about how many seats there are after redistricting. I'm going to suggest there's probably about 20 truly competitive seats, give or take three or four or five, um, a little bit less than there were uh, in the last 10 years after the last redistricting, um, certainly benefiting Democrats more than most people thought they would at the beginning of the year when we first started drawing these lines. But um, the DCCC has 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 gotten the message, folks, and the message is you have a you have a big Hispanic problem. You have a big Hispanic problem, and it's not a new problem. Okay, and I want to dispel this notion from the beginning because there's this weird, peculiar, sort of white progressive establishment class that feels that they need to deny that this is happening. And the analysis is, and I hate to even call it analysis because it's so bad. It's so poor. First of all, it's clearly not done by campaign professionals. It's kind of these these people who who make the cocktail circuit inside the beltway and and kind of posit themselves as as sort of folks that are in the know. Um, Especially when it comes to minorities, for some reason, there's this there's this weird sort of um, you black and brown people really need to just kind of be model minorities and we'll continue to run the operation. We just need you to show up and vote. You get those vibes coming from a lot of these folks. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention any names, but if you guys can find these folks on Twitter, um, find them on social media. Uh, most of the mainstream press has basically shut them down because they're. And I, I hate to use the word analysis, but I'm gonna for shorthand. What they're the analysis that they're using um, is is so ridiculous that most reporters won't even cover it, or even the research that they're paying to have done demonstrating that in their eyes there is no problem. This rightward shift is not happening. There's actually one organization out there that is suggesting that Democrats are doing better with Hispanics uh, at this point in time than they ever have before. Um, It's an absurdity, but it comes with parties, and both parties do this, by the way. If you wonder how the MAGA movement and this belief in – you know, and in ideas and propaganda without any real evidence backing it up. Like a lot of us have gone, how, how do people get this batshit crazy? This is how it happens. It's people in the party who try to feed their followers what they want to hear as opposed to basic, obvious evidence and create a different reality that protects their position, their status, their title, or their money in the hierarchy. That's how it happens. And it's, it is happening uh, to a very frightening degree. And I say that because if the Democrats don't figure out their Hispanic problem and they don't figure it out quick, it, it, it could cost us dearly. Like like the the future of the republic, right? Like when I when I'm talking about and when I got involved with the Lincoln Project and got involved in defeating Trump, um, I, I threw in with those that believe genuinely that the Republican Party at this moment in time is an existential, imminent threat to our country, because it is, and it it, it chaps my hide to no recordable degree. When I see Democrats 
doing things like this, lying to the base, or not capable or competent enough to to recognize there's a problem that needs to be resolved. So I'm 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 not going to be afraid or ashamed to just show these elements within the Democratic Party just how foolish and how wrong-headed and silly and just ignorant of the facts they are. It's like climate denier vibes. It's like it's all there. It's all in writing. It's all it's all it's all in the polling. It's all in the precinct results. And I'm not just talking about you know, the Texas special election. I'm not just talking about the Virginia and New Jersey races. I'm not just talking about the really depressed Latino turnout rates in Los Angeles from last, you know, or three weeks ago. I'm not just talking about the 2020 election where Democrats lost Hispanic support to Donald Trump. It's like, if that doesn't tell you there's a problem, what the hell does? 2018, Hispanics showed out in record number for Democrats, and I'll talk about that. But that's anomalous in the last few cycles. Hillary Clinton did very poorly in terms of turnout with Hispanic voters and a precipitous decline from the 2012 race, which was the high watermark where Obama got 75% of the Hispanic vote. And Democrats believed that this was going to usher in a new demographic era where demo- demographics were destiny. All they would have to do is wait, and Democrats would become a majority party just by birth rates. Old people, old white conservatives dying out, new young Latinos feeling their shoes. The, the, the voting booths would be swamped, and things like Texas going blue were inevitable. By the way, the same people who are saying there is no problem here – are the same, there is no Hispanic problem in the Democratic Party are the exact same people, exact same people who were saying that Texas is going to go blue because the Hispanic vote is growing so fast that it's going to push it into play. I was, I, I've been telling them they're wrong now because they are wrong, and I've been telling them they were wrong then because they were wrong then. Okay, and we're going to get into some of this, but first what I want to say is the DCCC ad that came out today, if you haven't listened to it, take a, less, take a listen. I will tweet it out again um, after this show uh, ends and when, when we post it, after we edit and then publish it. Because it is not a straight line from A to B that I think a lot of folks think ought to be working for this audience. And that's why I think it's actually quite effective. What this ad does is it actually simulates. There's an English and a Spanish variation of this ad, of course, and it's being run with a seven-figure at a seven-figure amount in Arizona, Nevada, Texas, and New Mexico. So their target here is Mexican Americans. Smart move, by the way. They're targeting the hemorrhaging vote amongst Mexican Americans, which is clear. It's obvious. It's discernible. It's evidence-based. It's undeniable that it's happening. Okay, no matter what the denialists say, it's there. It's and it's been there for three of the last four cycles. Okay, the Democrats have been experiencing a decline with this part of the electorate. They've decided that the Cuban vote is not something that they're going to go after. I think, frankly, that's probably smart. The Cuban vote is a very small share of the electorate, very regionally isolated. We're not running a presidential campaign. These guys are looking at House seats that are vulnerable and where they can actually move the needle. And this is the right move. Target Mexican-Americans in the Southwest across four states, seven-figure buy. Good move. Now let's talk about the message. The message 
recreates a scenario of two women, very important, female voices. That's who they're speaking to. That's smart. It's important to understand. And, and, and be mindful. If you're not in advertising, if you're not in political advertising, you think these small nuances are just coincidental. They're not. There's a lot of thought that go into should it be two men on the work site? Should it be a man and a woman at the dinner table? Should it be a married couple? Should it be single? They're speaking to a specific demographic, and the demographic that they're speaking to here are women. And the reason why they're speaking to women is women in the Mexican-American community, specifically Latino communities generally, tend to be the opinion leaders in our culture. There's this bullshit nonsense about machismo and, and, and people wanting a strong man. These are all, frankly, they're offensive stereotypes that don't match in reality. Anybody who has done work in the Latino community, Mexican-American community specifically, knows that the audience that you're going to get the most efficiencies out of are going to be women. In this case, it's a woman shopping at a grocery center, talking to the cashier, where one acknowledges in sort of Spanglish. There's an accent component, which always makes me a little bit nervous, but it, they use it, and it's fine. I don't think there's, there's any problems with it. About working too much and her neck and her back hurting, and the basic thrust of the conversation is, I, I've got to keep working more than I want to. It's breaking me down physically, but I don't have a choice. The customer says, calmate, which means calm down, relax, just vote for the Democrats. The cashier comes back and says they're out of touch. There's some back and forth that goes with gas prices. And and um, I think what a lot of people um, feel is conveyed is that this is not a strong ringing endorsement of either Biden or the Democrats' policies in a way that they could and should and poke through the message. And that, I think, is extremely important to understand because uh, the ad makers here got it. They understand it. They have to stop and staunch and stem the bleeding and the hemorrhaging, and you have to acknowledge that. If you don't, if you just go straight into this opposite argument – I think you are going to lose a lot of voters who have already demonstrated a propensity to start listening to Republican messaging. One. Two, this is the first time we are seeing the Democrats acknowledge that the economy is hurting people in the Hispanic community with paid efforts. Okay, the denialists are literally still saying we'll get to this in a second. The, the Democratic denialists in the Democratic Party are still saying it's not a recession. Let's argue about the colloquial definition, the technical term, and let's pretend that there's no recession happening. And if we stick our head in the hole enough as ostriches, maybe we'll, nobody will see what the problems are that are going on. It doesn't mean Biden's responsible. It doesn't mean the Democrats are responsible. But for God's sakes, you know what? Stop with the – if you offer constructive criticism that actually works, if you actually acknowledge the reality of where people are at, somehow you're not down with the cause or, or, or what would the Republicans be doing that's better? Like what – not only do you sound like the red-hatted MAGAs when you come up with that kind of stuff – but it's, it's literally counterproductive and hurts your position from a practical political perspective. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's value in being honest with people. There's value in meeting people where they're at. There is no virtue, 
for people or parties that pretend like things aren't happening. That's what Donald Trump did. And maybe he was successful in some ways from a a pure practical perspective, but that's what creates the cynicism and the environment for democracy to collapse and to fail. So don't sell me this bullshit that because the Republicans lie, we're going to start lying. And because the Republicans are dishonest, that gives us license to be dishonest. Not having it. Not having it. It's got to stop. I won't be party to it. And more importantly, I'm more than happy to call it out, especially with these these, these you know, people in the Democratic you know, establishment. I, I, I called out Republicans. I'm not afraid of them. I worked with them for 30 years. A lot of them were, were friends. A lot of them were professional colleagues. If you think I'm afraid of Democrats, look what I did with Republicans. The truth matters in this business. It just does. Facts matter. Evidence matters. And so finally, what I am grateful for is the DCCC has recognized that being honest with Hispanic voters and saying we have a problem, one, first, and two, it's an economic concern. Because by a factor of five, Hispanics are saying it's inflation and the quality of life that is causing us problems. This is what we're worried about. So, so setting up a scenario where you've got two working class people in a grocery store complaining about getting ahead makes perfect sense. There's nothing wrong with that. That's smart politics. Okay? That's the third part. Fourth part is this acknowledgement that the Democrats are out of touch. And this is handled very deftly. And this is what lights, I think, most progressives' hair on fire. How dare you say that the Democrats are out of touch? How dare you force me out of my social media bubble and, and actually listen to people that I don't agree with? Well, that's exactly what the point of this ad is, is to acknowledge what the polling is overwhelmingly saying, which is that the Democrats are consolidating their base as white, college-educated progressives that are increasingly out of touch with Hispanic voters. And let me say that again, out of touch. If that makes you uncomfortable, good. Because I'll guarantee you this, dollar to a donut, as somebody who's been doing this, cutting ads, finding the right words, the words, quote unquote, out of touch, were probably either focus grouped online or polled and researched with Hispanics who responded positively to that message. And that shouldn't surprise anybody, by the way. It's it, One, it's common sense. And, and two, it's obvious from election results. So this is, again, just Mike Madrid saying it. It isn't just pundits saying it. It's the voters saying it by, by voting with their feet. This is how they're behaving. This is what they're saying. And so Democrats are taking, uh, the DCCC is taking a beating for, for doing what is clearly in line with the sentiment of the Hispanic voter, especially that part that is shifting away. That's their greatest concern. If you're Latino and you think that Joe Biden is, is the bee's knees and you vote a Democrat every election cycle and you are marching for women's rights, they're not talking to you. That's not who they're worried about. 
You're engaged. You're mobilized. You're pissed. You're outraged. Put your vote in the bank. They're not talking to you. They're not talking to you. They're talking to the voters that are peeling off, that don't have this partisan anchor, this partisan frame through which they view the world. These are not people who are on Twitter as much as you and I are. They're not watching cable news. These are people who work in grocery stores. These are people who have blue-collar jobs that, that are putting sticks in the ground to build houses, that are dropping hot pavement on streets and building infrastructure. These are the gardeners. These are the service economy workers. These are the essential workers that we have been talking about over the past couple of years of pandemic. These are the voters that shifted right. And this is who the DCCC is speaking to to try to stem the bleeding. And there's at least four, four points I just pointed out to demonstrate why that makes sense. So... The reason why I think you are probably hearing some pushback on these ads is because, first, it's the first time that the party is acknowledging that it has a problem. Let me give you a corollary. Maybe that'll help you guys understand if you're still not comfortable with a strategy. Incidentally, I'm not, I'm not too sure that it works, which is going to sound odd, because it might be too late. This is what the Democrats should have been doing two, three, four years ago, but the people in their party were saying, "No, no, no. Let's just keep talking uh, about you know uh, about all these other you know Latinx issues." And I'm using that as an umbrella. If if the Republicans had their shit together and were trying to stem the flow of college-educated suburban white women left, which is happening. These are these Lincoln Project voters that we moved over successfully in the 2020 election cycle. That hemorrhaging amongst Republicans is with that white college-educated suburban woman. Okay, If they started running ads saying, I can't vote for the Republicans anymore because they support Confederate monuments, and another woman responds by saying, yeah, look, I know there's some of that, but don't buy into that because these Democrats are for defunding the police. Would that ad work? It would work. It would bring them back into the fold. That is essentially what the DCCC is doing to bring voters who have a historical voting pattern of voting for Democrats who are now saying the Democrats are out of touch back into the fold. And they're trying to do it on an economic message. So I, I say give them credit, doing it for the right reasons, doing it with the right message, doing it with the right demographic, meaning Mexican-Americans, where this shift rightward has happened. And I would even argue doing it at the right levels. Now, they said seven figures, which is a million-dollar buy. million-dollar buy on Spanish-targeted radio is pretty significant when you're talking about areas like the Rio Grande Valley and you're talking areas like New Mexico talking about areas in parts of Nevada and in in Arizona. You a million bucks is a good run. You can get a good good uh, a market penetration with a with a seven figure buy. Now, when they say seven figures incidentally, that's also code for just 1 million dollars, right? They want you to think, "Oh, it could be up to 9,999,000. It's somewhere in that range." If it were over a million dollars, even if it were 2 million dollars, they would say it's a 2 million dollar buy. 
It's not. It's at the low range. That's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'll tell you what they're going to do is after the flight ends, after the schedule goes through, after they burn through that million dollars in probably a six-week period, they're going to go back in and test, the, meaning they're going to pull this audience to see if that if the bleeding has stopped. Then what they're going to do is they're going to go in and follow up with more of an attack message or a more direct message on what is actually going to move these same voters back into the fold and uh, and and try and, and and goose their numbers back up in these competitive seats. That's what they're doing. But you have to first acknowledge the problem and staunch the bleeding. You have to, especially when the research is showing you that you're out of touch. Okay. Let me jump into a question. M, you're uh, up. I'm Hi, Mike. How hey, are you? good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm encouraged by the DCCC doing this. Yay. Finally. Good. Yay. Good. <laughs> My question is, what about those of us who can't quit their jobs and join the school and run for the school board and don't have any control over DCCC? How do we impact? Are there messages? I actually have a lot of interaction with lots of the audience that's being targeted by these uh-huh. ads. Yep. But what about, like, what can I, as just a person... Do. There's two things. Yeah, there's two quick things. And again, this is this is different advice. The advice I'm going to give you used to be really dismissed um, by political professionals before the pandemic. Now they're all doing it. The first <laughs> thing you can do, the first thing you can do is share it on social media and share it. Send a link to all of these people uh, that may not otherwise pick it up on the radio and say, what do you think of this? And, and do that as a focus group. OK, Let me ask, I'll ask all of you to do that. If you know working class Latinos, share the link and just just with that question, what do you what do you think of this? Some will be dismissive, some will find it interesting, and some will say, "Yeah, I think that that's exactly right." And take note without asking them because they're your friends. What age? What gender? And basically, what economic range they're in? Do they have kids? Right? Do your own focus group. But share it. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and this is important too, any naysayers on social media for the DCCC doing this, tell them that it's ridiculous that at least they're doing something. Like I'm shocked by the criticism of people saying, oh, they're actually doing something. Do they think this is counterproductive? Nobody's saying they think it's counterproductive. They just don't think it's working. 99% of those, by the way, who are saying that aren't the target audience for this. It's the hardcore, progressive, in the bag, you know, um, vote blue no matter who and have for 50 years and will for the next 50 years. And God bless you. I'm not dismissive of that. But you're not a persuadable voter. In fact, if you're in this conversation, 99% chance you're not a persuadable voter. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just trying to explain to you what a campaign is trying to do. And so my good friend Chuck Rocha, you know, we, we, we explored this in a very heated conversation. He's a good Democratic operative. I'm, of course, on the GOP side. We brought these two different views and said, hey, what's going on here? How does this look to you? He is more dismissive of it than I am, mainly because it just doesn't feel right to acknowledge your own side's limitations. And in most instances, I would not advise that either, except the problem has gotten that bad because the Democrats have been in denial about it for so long. They no longer have a choice. And so the way that the the DCCC is setting up this this firewall 
this book ending, this frame to stop the bleeding, I think is very, very smart. Do you have another question, Em? Um, well, yes. So sharing it, sharing matters. it, and then and then push back on those that are saying it's a bad idea. Ask them and look at engage. I don't I don't mean like troll them. I just right. mean like what, what's wrong with acknowledging the problem and find out what their answers are. Because if the answer is simply saying I don't think it's smart to say, hey, we're out of touch, but vote for us anyway, that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is I acknowledge where you're at. I'm respecting your feelings. But let's consider the alternatives and let's look at some of the successes. It's a pivot, and it's the right way to pivot. You acknowledge where people are at in this business because if you don't, you leave them feeling like, quote, you're out of touch, end quote. So to me, it's a great strategy. And again, the only reason why this would not work is if they're not spending enough money on it or if it has started too late and the opinion has shifted. One one other quick point I want to make here, Em, with that in mm-hmm. mind. And this is going to be off topic a little bit, but I think it's very important. Over the past 72 hours, we have seen another decided shift towards the Democrats with the generic ballot. The Democrats are consolidating their base. I now believe that it's actually possible. I'm not saying this will happen. Don't don't misquote me here. It's possible that the Democrats could actually hold on to the House. But, but, and this is a really big but, they're going to have to perform at the same levels that they historically have with Hispanic voters prior to 2020. And if they don't, they'll lose. That makes the Latino vote the critical vote segment. Everything else is shifting in their direction. They're seeing it too. That's why they're launching these ads. Okay, they're, they're bringing everything else home, or I should say the Republicans are bringing it home for them. They need to get the Hispanic vote back in line at the same numbers that they were at pre-2020, ideally back to 2012, but that ain't going to happen. But if they could get them just back to 2016 with decent turnout, Democrats could be in a very good position to hold on to the House of Representatives. Thank you so much. One last quick question. Is something yeah. similar happening with the African-American vote? I have not seen it. No, no, I haven't seen it. And part of that's a great question. No. Okay. Just notice that, like, for example, my husband's African-American and he's definitely much, much, much more uh, less Uh in line with AOC and more in line with with, uh, maybe Latino voters in the right word shift. Joe Biden. Yeah. 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 No, there's not. I think uh, you'll see an operation late because that's the way they the Democratic Party works with African-American voters. Um, but but the Latino voters really opening the eyes of the Democratic Party, making them understand all voters of color differently. That's why I love what's happening. This changing country is a lot of progressives are really being challenged on their notions of who non-white people are. Like they've just always put us in this little basket in this box and treated us the same and dismissed it because our numbers were never a quote unquote threats to them. The exploding Latino numbers are forcing this racial reckoning in the Democratic Party. And it's amazing to hear these white progressives just talking down to me or talking down to other Latino operatives just so, so offensively on how they understand this better than I do, like literally. And it's like, how, how do you, how do Democrats like tolerate this and allow this? And the reality is that's why they're losing this vote. And it's not small numbers. This is a hemorrhaging. This is really three of the last four election cycles. The shift has been noticeable. It's been discernible. It's been problematic. And where they have held on in all but one election cycle, it's only because, um, there's, they're still getting low turnout rates. 
Look at Los Angeles. Los Angeles' mayor race is the largest county in America, one, but it also has the largest Latino population. There are more Latinos in, in L.A. County than there are people in, like, 20 states. Okay, it's huge. <laughs> uh, that's true, by the way. And the, yeah. turnout, the turnout rate was 17% amongst Hispanics, 85% of whom are Democrats, by the way, while there was a record number of non-Hispanic whites. So these people are turning out, but but Latinos aren't for Democratic races and Democratic seats. And you know who the top vote getter was in the mayor's race? The most conservative candidate got the highest number of Latino votes. So the data is overwhelming. It's telling us stuff. It's just that there's a lot of people who refuse to listen because it's where their title is. It's where their position in the party is or because they're making money off of it. The real problem is it's going to affect our country if they don't get this straight. So my second piece of advice, again, is to gently – don't be trolling out there too much, but (laughs) gently point out, um, hey – you all haven't come up with any good alternatives. What's your solution? I, for one, am glad that they're actually engaging in this debate. Thank you so much. And I just so much sure. appreciate how you phrase things as like, because it is an exciting time to see change and an exciting time to see people have voices and exciting. So I just really appreciate all you do. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate your questions. Bring them back uh, later on if you've got more. I'm going to jump over to Renee. Renee, if you could unmute, and we'll take your question. Okay, I think I did. Can you hear you me? You got it. Yep. Hear you loud okay. and clear. You know, um, you caught on um, a little bit of my question when you were talking because you were talking about how um, Hispanics are pigeonholed and, and kind of boxed in based uh-huh. on other people's assumptions. Right. And my question really is, um, would it not be – I mean, I, I agree with the, the, the buy with Hispanic radio because I've heard you and Chuck talk about how cheap it is, how mm-hmm. much bang you can get for your dollar. Mm-hmm. Um and how it can also make people feel seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a big issue um, is, you know, I, I know you've mentioned it as Hispanics. I know young people feel the same way. And a lot of that is why, um, you know, they don't engage because they don't feel seen and they don't feel invested in it. Right. But- that's, that's exactly right, Renee. That there, no one has spoken to them even this early. It's really not that early. It's 100 days out. But, right. but but look, one of the reasons, and I know you got a question here, but 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 you're bringing up a great point. Let me make a quick comment, and that is this. Remember, Greg Abbott in Texas uh, three weeks ago put up a $2.7 million buy. Republican nominee put up a $2.7 million Spanish language exclusive buy in Texas three weeks ago, just in Texas. Okay, the, the yeah, Democrat- I feel like that says a lot about how they feel – uh, about their position if they're making that big of an investment. It sure point. does. Yeah, it sure does. And remember, they only need a five, six, seven point shift. It, this is base Democratic vote. Like the right. Democrats can't take this for granted. They can't take one percentage for granted here. And that's why the Republicans here. And that's that's forced the Democrats to respond with earlier money than they normally. Yeah, can you hear me now? Hear me now, Renee. Sorry about that. So it's it's forced the Democrats to put up a a seven figure buy much earlier than they normally would. The good the good news there is that they're they're taking it seriously, right? uh, Because they're forced to. The bad news is the bad news is. 
it took them this long and it took them to have this big of a problem in order for them to do it. But but they are doing it, and I don't, I don't want to be negative about it. That's why I'm saying it's it's hopeful. They're actually yeah, well, doing I, it. Hopefully they'll learn from the fact that, you know, they're 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 bleeding. I mean, they're hemorrhaging um, in, in yeah. that particular area. And, and maybe that will, you know, lead them to take some other actions. I don't know. But my question was, um, you know, yes, you can um, address Hispanic voters – you know, in a singular fashion, but you can also target, um, I would think, um, like a, a bottom half socioeconomic blanket mm-hmm. um, demographic as far as things like those kitchen table issues are concerned. Yep. Because that- working class people are working class people, no matter what race they belong to. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong. No, but, you know, those you're not wrong. Two and three kids that are, you know, want our kids to get an education and are worried about the quality of our schools and paying bills and all those kinds of things. We don't, those worries aren't different for us just because I'm white. My neighbor's black. My next, my neighbor on the other side is Brazilian. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. We that's, still have the same issues. That's exactly so, right. So it seems like, you know, they would start a, a blanket campaign, you know, geared towards working class Americans, you know, as a whole, um, because I I feel like we would get a little bit more play from particularly rural America in doing so. And I know that's where a lot of, um, you know, the Hispanic population that has moved into other areas has settled into, um, yeah. No, no, you're not you're not wrong at all. You're 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 right on. Let me let me let me um let me let me dive into this a little bit, Renee, because okay. you're bring you're bringing up a really important point and I think some of you uh who, who maybe listen to me on politicology know that that Ron Stessel always introduces me as somebody who's been a professor uh, at USC and the class I I taught um was actually they allowed me to design it. It was called race, class and partisanship. And the, the question you're asking is is really an intersection of all three of those. So, without giving too much of a college lecture here, let me let me let me try to explain a little bit more on why this is so important. Okay. So, what is happening, Renee, is the Democratic Party is rapidly consolidating uh, college educated voters. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of college educated voters in this country are white, and they tend to live regionally in areas that have. Newer economies. By newer, I mean high tech, biotech, finance, uh, industries that require an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we are self segregating as a country, and some regions are becoming whiter, and certain uh, uh, areas are becoming uh, more educated. And there's a lot of regions of the state, especially red states, where there are economies that do not have. Uh, high high tech or um, highly skilled workforce economies. Where am I going with this? What what I'm where I'm going with this is we are we are rapidly becoming a country where the the Democrats are those that are comprised of people who have very bright futures and a high level of confidence of what this new economy and this digital age means for them. They recognize that there are a lot of people being left behind, and so the way they address that, unfortunately, tends to be with 
immediately government programs, which I, I, I may not agree with them, but I don't have a problem with that philosophy. That's not what I'm saying. But more importantly, trying to address the racial disparities through this race and identity exclusive lens. There yeah. is there is no voice for the message that you're talking about. The economic messages that talk about the industries that people are currently either surviving in or can see right in front of them provide a way for them to achieve the American dream or at least not fall off of the grid. Those are the jobs that these voters, black, white, and brown, view the Democratic Party as the enemy of. Because so much of what is coming from government is restrictive of those industries. Now, we can get into the whys, and I'm not making a judgment call. A lot of this is climate change stuff, which is very important. A lot of it is land use stuff, which is all very important. I'm not trying to make a policy judgment. I'm trying to provide an explanation for the way voters are responding. And so you are right. What you're basically saying is can't we make an economic class argument to get back into the game with working class people of all races and ethnicities? And my answer is 100% yes. And thank you for saying that because that's the right policy prescription. Okay. Now, a couple of, couple of little qualifiers on that. It can be more impactful if you do do it with an ethnic or racial nuance to it that speaks specifically to certain communities. That's why they're doing this. But there should be a very advanced, sophisticated effort to do exactly what you are talking about, which is to re-engage working class voters on both economic and cultural issues in a way that can bring them back into the democratic fold or at least stop the bleeding and stop the hemorrhaging to the Republican Party. Right. And for me, that it, it goes back. I mean, we can go back to Martin Luther King's poor people's poor people's campaign. And it's, you know, it was formulated, you know, formulated along those same lines. It's like, OK, we we've taken this this race issue and we've made progress on it. Now, let's unite across the races for those who are financially disadvantaged and lacking opportunities. Um, and I think you had talked before about the you know, college loan forgiveness versus free community college and trade schools. And I think that really hits home with working class Americans, too. And, you know, I'm speaking from a point of view of I'm a white college educated woman who has three multiracial children in college. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I kind of get that whole like, you know, we have a very um, uh, I'm getting stuck on my words here. Um, we have a very diverse community here. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, so I have a, a considerable amount of exposure to, you know, all kinds of races and ethnicities um, via my friends, my kids, you know, my house is kind of where everybody congregates. And, and so we get that kind of exposure to what, you know, points of view. And I, I really, you know, I, I like hearing what other people have to say. And it was, you know, I, it was important to me to hear the same concerns that I have for my children and my life that other kids of different races and, and their parents have the same concerns. So that's where, you know, my question really came in was, 
okay, yeah, we, we, we may be from different races and ethnicities, but our, our core concerns are still the same. It's family, paying bills, and, and making lives easier for our children, the next generation. I, I, I could not agree with you more. I think that's exactly right. And, and what I do see is this as a beginning to re-engage that conversation. Um, so, uh, so, so yes, 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 yes. And, and thank you for bringing that up, bringing those questions up, um, and that point up. Fundamentally, um, I, and I, you've all heard me say this before. I'm, I'm going to say it again because it really bears repeating. The Democratic Party has lost its understanding of its own base. It really yeah. still believes that it's a working class party. And what I am telling you and what the data is telling you and what the precinct results are telling you and what the voting results are telling you is that is not true. Yeah. So the Democrats can keep arguing with the data and keep trying to explain to working class people while they don't get it, which is the way it comes across, by the way. It comes across very condescending. Mm-hmm. Or they can start listening to what the voters are telling them and respond in kind. And that's what this ad does. It acknowledges there's a problem, and in their own words, it says, I'm hearing you. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the, this, the voting for the Democrats is the right policy. It's the right political prescription for where we're at at this moment in time. Yeah, because I think bottom line, everybody, everybody in this country just wants to be heard and feel seen. Period. I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it is young people, like you said. It is people of color. It is women, right? Clearly. It's, oh, yeah. all, it's all of these constituencies that are basically saying, I am not her. I don't have a voice. I don't feel empowered. And, um, and, and that, that, that turns into anger. It turns into yeah. a, to, to, to a rage, um, w- which if you're viewing this exclusively as a Democrat might feel good. But that rage starts to tear institutions apart. And if you don't believe me, look at the Republican Party, which is basically fueled on an IV drip of just pure outrage 24 hours a day. They don't even know what what anymore. They're just they're just pissed at being pissed at being pissed. And 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 young people, from what I've heard, you know, like I said, my kids are 18 to 23. mm -hmm. And, you know, from young people, they're not voting because they don't think it freaking matters they don't feel like anybody's going to do anything that's going to help them so they don't bother and they've got a good reason to feel that way don't they yeah i I think so yeah you know i definitely felt a lot more empowered at their age than they do currently yeah Um, and that's sad I've had those same conversations with my kids too, where it's like, I remember being, you know, in my early twenties and looking at politics as kind of this noble pursuit to kind of drive policy in a certain direction and, and view this as a commitment to your, your country and public service. And and when I, when I see the world as it is and imagining somebody in their early twenties, just graduating from college and going, man, this is a mess. Yeah. This is just a mess. And it's just got to be such a challenging way to view the world when you should be at, you know, and we, we go through these, these different perspectives of life. Young people, even though they're far less wealthy, maybe not even employed, have a lot of college debt over and over for, for, since the 1970s, it is young people that pot, that test, that pull the most optimistic. Optimi- yeah. Optimism is a function of age. 
part mm-hmm. of it is you, you haven't been hardened by you know what life is going to throw at you, but okay. you're also seeing your whole life ahead of you, and you see those opportunities and you see those potentialities. It's so hard for young people to be optimistic in this environment, in this world. And that's really what breaks my heart because if your young people aren't optimistic, it's really souring and toxic on a culture going forward. Yeah. And, and you know, I just, I, I keep trying to implore, like, do you want people who are 60 years old deciding how your life is going to be when you are 60 years old? Right. Like, no. Anyway, Mike, thank you so much for answering my question. I really appreciate what you do. Renee, thank you so much. I appreciate you following along and bringing those great questions. It's fantastic insight and extremely helpful. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Uh, Go ahead and jump into the queue, folks, if you've got any other questions that we can uh, address or bring up. I do want to talk a little bit about this same sort of uh, denialism that is uh, dealing with the recession. And, And I said it. There it is. I said it. We're in a recession. The numbers came out again. Second quarter of negative growth, that is the definition of a recession. Now, here, here we go, right? You've got the Biden administration, Joe Biden himself says, this doesn't sound like a recession to me. That, that's probably the worst thing a politician can say. It reminds me of when George Herbert Walker Bush couldn't you know, tell you what the price of a gallon of milk was when he went into the grocery store while he was campaigning in 1992 in the middle of what was it called then? A recession. Oh, why was it a recession? Because there were two quarters of negative economic growth. That's all there was. That's bad enough. So if you're going to hold Republicans to that standard, why are you not holding Democrats to that standard? It's nonsensical, and not only does it make you look hypocritical, it makes you look, here we go, brace yourselves, seatbelts on, it makes you look out of touch. Those are the words from that ad. It makes you look out of touch. Why? Because you are. Because you are out of touch. If you don't think that we're in the middle of a recession, which we are, don't don't try to, 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 to split hairs by saying, that's not the that may be the colloquial definition, but that's not the quote-unquote technical definition. First of all, that's the definition. And if you're going to try to bring in and introduce alternative facts, I'm going to call you on it. And everybody should call everybody on it. Because you can't have Kellyanne Conway doing that, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't have Donald Trump doing that. We shouldn't tolerate that from Republicans. Let's not tolerate it from Democrats either. Okay, there's there's no reason for it. It's not a bad thing. And and here's the great irony. It's not even Joe Biden's fault. Nobody's even saying that. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's his fault or his policies. These things are largely out of his control. But where they're not, this is an opportunity to say, I feel your pain. Remember the last successful politician to do that in the middle of a recession, by the way? Use that as a pivot to then say, not only do I feel your pain, not only do I understand where you're at, not only is is your experience relatable to me, but here's what I'm going to do about it. That's literally what successful politicians do. Do you know what unsuccessful politicians do? They say, well, we're not technically in a recession. What you're using is a colloquial understanding of what a recession is, but there's an organization over here that has a much more technical, economic, uh, uh, PhD-inspired definition of what a recession is. And you got people w- with the with the nightly news on in the background, 
who are worried about what they're going to feed their kids for dinner that night and how long, how much they can stretch the pasta out to make it last a couple of more days till the end of the week until they get, you know, their paycheck and then go to the grocery store and realize it's not going anywhere near as far as it was five or six months ago saying, what do you mean we're not in a recession? What are you talking about? Folks, we're in a recession. It meets the definition of what a recession is, but more importantly, it meets people that are hurting economically, blue-collar workers, where they're at. I think some of you probably saw me going back and forth on Twitter with <laughs> with this guy, and I, I, I'm not going to call him out by name, but this guy was literally a retired aerospace executive who pushed back at me and said, we're not in a recession. I just got back from Western Europe. I was there for three weeks, and you should see how bad things are there. And all I could think of is, of course, a retired aerospace executive who lives in one of the most exclusive country uh, communities in California was on a three-week Western European vacation and is now going to lecture people about how we're not in a recession and it's not as bad here as it is in, in Spain or England, or France, or on the coast of Italy. And in, 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 a, in a real quick clarifying moment, it's apparent why blue-collar workers believe that Democrats are, here we go again, quote-unquote, out of touch. It's because so many of them are. And it's not, it's not a, a, a I'm, tr- I'm trying to be, critical in a very constructive way by saying before you start saying that the economy is not in bad shape or it's not a recession try to understand it from the perspective of people who are really struggling with putting gas in their car to get across town or across the city to work for a wage that has been stagnant in an industry that is under attack when you know that what you're going to get paid is going to buy you 10% less than it did a few months ago. Like, why is that so hard? Isn't that really what the Democratic Party proclaims itself to be? Isn't that that I, I'll tell you, I, I grew I was I was raised in a family of Democrats. Both of my parents were Democrats. That's the party that they posited to me was the Democratic Party. I, I was I was raised in a tradition where you should spend your life working on, to fight for those who are the least among us. Fight for the poor. They're the ones that need help. I'm not worried about rich people, folks. On the Republican or Democratic side, I couldn't care less about either. Rich people are going to be just fine. Don't worry about them. But poor and working class people now you're, you're now you're hitting me where I live. You're talking to a very soft spot that I have. These are people that need advocates for them. And I don't I, look. I care if you're Latino. I, I care if you're African American. I care if you're white. But mostly, I care about your human condition. And things aren't good here. And if I say things aren't good, that doesn't mean I'm blaming Joe Biden. But what I am going to blame Joe Biden for and what I am going to blame the Democrats for is not acknowledging the pain that people are going through. One, because it's obvious, and, and two, because it's just really stupid politics, like stupid politics. And if you think you're going to win votes that way, you're wrong. You're wrong. So enough of my soapbox there. 
Um, questions. We've got a few more minutes here. We're, we're, we're coming up on the 6 o'clock hour. We had a couple of great questions, uh, and I hope that this has been helpful, especially as it relates to the ads that were just dropped by the, by the D-trip, as we call them, and whether or not you think they're effective. That's my perspective. Okay, that's my professional perspective in working in this community, and it's it's this what I'm seeing in the Democratic Party is this refusal to acknowledge uh, the, the weakened uh, part of its base, and and there are a lot of people who believe that the the right way to to deal with that politically is to ignore it and to lie about it. And I'm here to tell you, as somebody who left a party who believed that was the right thing to do, it's not the right thing to do. It's not. It's not helpful to your cause politically. It's not healthy for the country, and it's not solving any problems. So let me give it a couple quick seconds. If there are any uh, questions in the chat, let me check the chat room. No questions in the chat. If anybody wants to jump up on stage, now is the best time to do it. Let's get that questions answered. We've got a couple of more minutes. Brenda, uh, let's go ahead and get you into the queue. Unmute on the lower right. Hit that little microphone button. There you are. Okay. Brenda, how are you? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm a Texan. And, Texas. Um, I'm not Hispanic, but I have a lot of Hispanic friends. Uh-huh. Middle class. Yep. Um, Hispanic friends. And they vote Republican. Um, always have or is that new? I'm sorry? Have they always voted Republican or are they becoming more Republican? I don't know. I'd have to ask them that question. Because okay. we're all older and have kids, you know, that are grown and that sort of thing. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know the messaging the Republicans put out there, mm-hmm. when I bring up a point about something, they come right back with that messaging. It's like right on cue. And, um, you know, it's really hard to um, get around that. Um, help, help me, Brenda. What do they come back with? They come back with Republican messaging, you know, mm-hmm. the, the talking points, the talking points. Yeah. Like, for instance, the migrants coming in from yeah. um, South America, Central America, you mm-hmm. know, um, the Haitians, particular, well, not the Haitians, but the the Guatemalans and stuff. We were doing some um, bringing food and that sort of thing, you know, helping out. Because I'm in El Paso, Texas, so I'm right on the border. Um, the um, question, the thing that was brought up to my attention when I was doing that for my Republican Hispanic friends, there are criminals coming across the border mm-hmm. you're helping criminals mm-hmm. you know and i'm just like what i i saw these people they were families you know and they were very appreciative and they nobody looked like i mean i don't know if there's a criminal or two in there or not but you know it didn't look like criminals to me and why would a criminal lose leave somewhere where they were doing well to come yeah. here you yeah, know, I, I don't know. I didn't get that. Well, this but, is this is actually part of the Fox News talking points. And if I don't know if how many of you saw it, but Ted Cruz launched an ad called the narco slavery trade. And and what it is, is Republicans are now going to start pivoting towards acting like they are the ones that are protecting the immigrants themselves from, um, you know, narco traffickers. Right, and I, I'm not going to say that there isn't this stuff going on. The borders are very, very dangerous, horrible places all over the world, and ours with Mexico is no different. And there are, there is increased cartel activity, smuggling people across the border. And the reason why is because as you start to do things like build walls, you raise the price of the smuggling operation because it gets more difficult to bring people in, and that makes it not only more expensive but more dangerous. 
And so it's the height of irony to now see Ted Cruz, who's helped exacerbate this problem and created this problem, now trying to take political advantage of it. Um, it's deeply disturbing, but uh, I, I, I did interrupt you. I know that you have a, a question, Brenda. Well, I, I have several that we probably, which will, I can ask next week too. Okay. But um, the one thing I was very curious about, and I got, I jumped on late because, you know, life, and mm-hmm. um, was that Beto O'Rourke is traveling all over Texas right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm seeing these um, images on Twitter um, with all of these groups of people, and I see lots of white people. Mm-hmm. and older white people. Mm-hmm. And um, I just sent him a Twitter. I'm sure he's going to reply, asking mm-hmm. him about what you've been discussing, the Hispanic, you know, going into the Spanish radio stations mm-hmm. and running ads, you know, uh, to reach those people, like in the Rio Grande Valley and that sort of thing. Um, I just can't take more of Abbott. And what I want to know is what do you think about his doing these massive Texas town, you know, where he goes to the, the rural communities, which is great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I wonder, um, his overall strategy, do you think it needs some tweaking? Uh, That's a great question. So let's talk about Beto a little bit here. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, I think Chuck and I did a whole section on Texas. Uh, We talk about him a little bit more on a podcast coming out uh, shortly. I was very critical of Beto when Myra Flores won the special election um, in, in the, uh, the Texas congressional uh, down in the Rio Grande Valley. And the reason why I was is because there was no infrastructure that was built by either the Democratic Party or Beto O'Rourke's campaign, knowing full well that if they lost that seat, it would set a negative tone and a negative narrative. Um, a couple of things have happened since then. The first is um, – Beto is on social media is now starting to put out more of these town hall meetings that you're talking about with clips of him. And when, when he handled a question in a Hispanic town hall that spoke about the border issue specifically, again, a Hispanic Republican woman said, I voted for Trump twice. I voted for Abbott last time. What are you going to do about the border? He handled it so well and so perfectly. It's literally a masterclass that every Democrat should, should, you know, uh, be forced to watch before you pull papers to run for office because mm-hmm. it starts with border security. And he says we can have a secure border while also protecting and maintaining our values and creating a path to citizenship and protecting those dreamers that are here. That's the right answer. That's the answer that everybody, regardless of your race or ethnicity, not everybody, but the vast majority supports. The the real dirty little secret here about immigration reform is it's not that hard to do. It's just both sides have benefited by frightening their own base about what the other side believes and stands for. The Republicans mm-hmm. certainly more, no question about it, but Democrats up until recently have used it to mobilize their voter base too. They've used it to mobilize Latinos against the Republican Party, but now that's not working. It's not working. So what's going to happen? Democrats are going to have to start to lead on this. They're going to have to lean into this, and the way you begin with that is by saying – We have to start the discussions on immigration reform with border security, and Latinos feel that same way. doesn't make you racist for saying you want border security. It makes you a good policy uh, um, 
um, a good solution. It puts you in a position of having a good policy solution, good politics, and protecting a sovereign country. There's no, there's no, nothing wrong with countries wanting border protection. It's the way that you do it, and that's the way that the conversation needs to begin. Second thing, Beto is also going to rural whites. Now, why is he doing that instead of going to white suburban voters? He's going to that because apparently his model internally shows that if he can limit the performance of the standard Republican in what I call deep MAGA counties, these are counties that vote for Trump 80%, Abbott 80%, if he can pull these votes down into a 73 to 75% range, He's confident that these other white suburban voters will move in his direction, and that's the model that apparently they see as the winning combination. Is it one that I would employ? Probably not unless – and this is is an important unless – unless I was seeing polling – consistently that was saying this is one possible and two, the math gets us there. Okay? Mm -hmm. I I like this strategy. I think it's, it's unique. I, I would not, from my own playbook, pull that out and go and do it because I think that, that the suburban white vote is more important for him, and I also think consolidating the Hispanic vote is more important for him, but they're seeing something that I don't have you know, access to. I don't, I'm not looking at their own polling. Um, so so there, there's a reason why they're doing it, and there, that is one thing about Beto and his team. They're, they're not doing this stuff willy-nilly. There's a science to it. There's a, there's a method to this. And so I'm, what I will tell you is, though, even though I don't understand the rationale, I do know what they're trying to accomplish. And if what they're trying to accomplish is a sign of, of a possibility, it means that they're in a better position with white suburban voters and with Hispanics than we all think that he is, and that's probably a good sign. Okay. All right. All right. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Brenda, thanks for coming. Appreciate the question. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We're hitting the 6 o'clock hour or surpassing it. Thank you all so much for joining this episode of Mic Drop. I'm going to go ahead and edit it and publish it. I'll also kick out that DCCC radio ad so that you can listen to it. It's a quick 60-second spot. Send me your thoughts on it. Tweet back to me. Let me know if you agree or disagree. Appreciate the conversation. Love all of you guys for making the time on a normally Wednesday, this time a Thursday. And we'll talk to you next week. Send me the issues that you want brought up or perhaps even guests that you'd like me to have invite uh, to continue this discussion. We'll talk to you next week.